0: Well, uh, today we are um, continuing in the book of Luke. That's what we do here at Potter's House as we work through the Bible. And uh, yes, our children can be dismissed at this time. Those who want to go out to the kids' ministry. He usually reminds me if I forget to say that, so... Um, but yeah, we're in Luke chapter 11, and we're coming to um, uh, the issue of uh, forgiveness today. And I was, as I was thinking about this, I was you know thinking about kind of us as the human race. Um, and one of the things I find about people is that most of us like to think pretty well of ourselves, right? Um, we... Uh, We'll compare ourselves maybe to other people and say, well, I'm not as bad as that person, right? So, like, I'm not Hitler, right? So, so I've got that going for me. And, um, and I've over time, I've had the opportunity to experience some different cultures. And uh, I find it really interesting how different cultures kind of deal with this, on this, this how we're imperfect, but yet we want to seem like we're perfect, Um, Like, for instance, in most Asian cultures, you can't lump them all together, but in most Asian cultures, um, the big thing is to avoid shame right? And so the last thing you ever want to do is to bring shame on yourself, shame on your family. Um, Even in personal interaction with others, you don't want to be real confrontational with them because that will bring shame on that person, which in turn brings shame on you. Um, And so that's the way that their culture is really structured like that. It was uh, pretty interesting. I was had the opportunity to be in um, a seminary course uh, that I went with my professor from the States and we went to Malaysia um, to take the course. And in the, in the class, it was half um, Asian people and half Caucasian people. Um, and we were in a class talking about missions. And the whole class were supposed to be dialoguing and discussing with each other and... and in those kind of classes, like, there, there is exchange of ideas, and so you um, toss out different ideas, and maybe you might not agree with somebody else's idea, and it's okay to say that and to talk through that together. Well, it was really funny because, like, it was a di- dividing line down the class on who was talking. The Caucasians had no problem discussing things with each other and debating with each other. Um, but the Asians did not want to bring any dishonor or shame on any of the Caucasians by disagreeing with them. But then when it was the Asians turn to, to present, they all started talking. It was like so funny because like whenever a Caucasian would present, they, would, they wouldn't say a word because they didn't want to to shame that person. Uh, But then amongst themselves, once one of them said something, then they would all talk about it together. And so it was was a very, very neat dynamic to see how those cultures were playing out with just not wanting to shame or offend anyone else. Um, It's really kind of funny to me because I grew up um, in the States and kind of what our culture is known for is um, kind of the uh, cowboy mentality of, you know, if uh, if I don't agree with you, we'll take it out back and settle it with a gunfight or something, right? Like, that's kind of the mentality that, that our culture has down there for some reason. It doesn't, doesn't usually work out well. Um, it was always very interesting. My high school, I don't think a week went by that we didn't have some kind of fight at school, okay? Like, um, and they were always, it was always very interesting watch because if it was two guys, typically there were about three punches thrown, and then it was over, right? Because they just wanted to look tough and stand up for themselves, uh, make themselves look good, um, and then that was pretty pretty much decided within three punches, and then it was over. If it was girls, on the other hand, those girls, their goal was to mess that other person up, right? Like, they're pulling hair, ripping clothes, like, anything they can do, and when somebody goes to to break them up, so they've got to literally pick both of them up and carry them away, and they're still clawing and screaming and all this. And so that was my high school. So I was just, you know, that was like entertainment at lunch. You know, it's just kind of like, well, who's bringing the popcorn this week? Um, and so I find that the Canadian culture is kind of in between those two, okay? Um, you know, I don't find uh, uh, people here that are uh, ready to just, you know, duke it out over every little issue. Uh, some of you might be like, well, you don't know with this friend, but... Um, and I, but I also find that you're not completely afraid to, to offend someone to the point where you, you won't even say anything, right? Like, you're, it's not to, to that level either. So I find that the Canadian culture is kind of in the middle um, because uh, things that, that we value here um, is we really value politeness, right? We want to be polite. We want to show respect and honor to other people. Um, and overall, we want to be a peaceful people, Right? Um, that's that's kind of what I have, have noticed. So then the question comes in, how, how do we attain that when someone else does something that hurts us? Right? Because we, all cultures, all human race, have this problem where we do things that hurt other people. And so, how do we deal with that? What's, what's the appropriate way to deal with that? And an even bigger question, an even more important question, is how do we deal with the fact that we do things that hurt God? How do we deal with that? Another way of saying that in biblical terms is we sin. Sin is the biblical word for when we do things that are against what God would have us to do, when we, when we go against what his word teaches us. So how, how do we deal with that? And so we've been walking through uh, this passage in Luke chapter 11, where Jesus' disciples came to him and they said, hey, we want you to teach us how to pray. And so, so far we've covered verses one through three, and we're going to cover verse four today. And so 1 through 3, I'll just read that so we'll have the context. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And so that's what we've covered so far. And then today we're going to look at and forgive us our sins for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. And so, what do we need from God for that relationship? See, the, the whole, we, we saw from the start with this, this prayer, the way that Jesus teaches us to pray. He teaches us to pray to God as our Father. And that word that's used there is a very, very personal word. It's a personal um, adjective, not an adjective, a personal pronoun that's that's really reflecting on a relationship with God. And the whole prayer is couched in the terms of that relationship, um, having that closeness with God. And so how, as people who go against Him and do things that are against what He would have us do, How can we be forgiven? Because also, when we looked at who he was, we saw that he is a very holy, a very perfect God. He is completely just. He has to to punish anything that deserves punishment. And that's what sin is. And so, for God to be just, there had to be a way for us to be forgiven. So how can we be forgiven by God? And that's our first point. We're going to look at that first, that first sentence, that we want to be forgiven by God. You see, in the Old Testament, before Jesus, um, God gave all this whole elaborate system to his people um, that was the sacrificial system. And we look at that now and we're like, kind of like, well, what's going on there? Like, you know, if you do this, then you got to kill this animal. If you do that, then you got to kill this animal. And uh, maybe if you just don't even remember that you did something, you got to kill this other animal. And uh, sometimes you just got to let an animal go run off through the field for some reason. Um, and like, you know, we, we read that stuff and we're like, well, God, what was your point in all of that? Why, why all the death? That's exactly his point he was instilling in his people the reality that sin requires death. And even in all of that death, it wasn't good enough. It wasn't enough to cover their sins. Because all of those sacrifices were faulty. They were marred by sin themselves. And so what we needed was a sacrifice that was perfect, that was without blemish, a death that could take our place. And that's exactly what Jesus came to do. In Second Corinthians 5, it says this, um, I'll start in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. So if you come to Jesus and you you place your faith in him, that means you're in Christ. That means you're a new creation. No longer are you just a sinner who's against God, but you're a new creation in Christ. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us a ministry of reconciliation. So God, the perfect one, the perfect judge, made a way for us to be made right with him. That's what reconciled means, right? When we have a problem with with somebody else and we get it worked out, we're, we're reconciled. Well, when we have this problem with God, because we're doing things against him, we need to be reconciled. So how does he do that? He does that through Christ. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. He's offering us a way that we cannot be held guilty for all these things that we do. And entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So after you have received that reconciliation, you have that message to proclaim to others. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And then verse 21 here is so important. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, the way that it works is Jesus came and he lived the perfect sinless life. He knew no sin. And yet he paid the punishment for sin, which means that he became sin for us. He took our sin on himself and he dealt with it on the cross Paying that ultimate price. And over in Hebrews, it teaches us that he did that once. And that's all that was required. Once. For all of us who place our faith in him, that that sacrifice was sufficient. That sacrifice paid the price that was needed for any of us who come to him in faith and ask him to be our Lord and Savior, repent of our sins, and pray that prayer of Lord, forgive me. Lord, forgive us our sins. And He's sufficient. Once, one death. No longer do we have to keep a track of. Well, I did this this week, and well, yesterday I did that, and well, I need to go get a goat, and I need to go get a dove, and well, man, that one was so big, I need a bull, and uh, and you know, we got to get all these animals and sacrifice. No. He gave the one perfect sacrifice that's sufficient to make it where the all-perfect, holy God, who's perfectly just, can be completely just and still forgive us. He offers us forgiveness by taking our sin on Jesus. Jesus takes our place. And that's how God is still perfectly just, perfectly holy, perfectly loving, and able to forgive us it's by his grace it's a gift that he gives us of his own doing and when we come to him and we become a believer we get that gift in our life and that gift at that moment is sufficient it's sufficient for our whole life all of the sins we've committed up to that point and even after we come to Jesus we still struggle we still struggle with our old self we still struggle with doing things that are against God's word. And so at that point, all of those things that God knows we're going to do in the future, those are forgiven as well. How do we know that? Because Jesus died once. If it required something else, then he would have to die again, and he can't. Because he already dealt with it. He's already put all of that to death. And so when we, we understand that... It makes us ask, well, if Jesus here is teaching his disciples, those who already know him, those who are already forgiven, if he's teaching them to regularly pray, Lord, forgive us, well, isn't that kind of redundant? Like, aren't they already forgiven? And that's where we need to understand that there's there's kind of different aspects of what's going on here. In a judicial sense, in a legal sense, and they're standing before God. So at the end of their life, they're going to stand before God and give account for their life. And at that point, Jesus is going to step in and he said, I died for them. All of their stuff is on me. I've got that covered. So a legal judicial sense, yes. For all of us in this room who have placed our faith in Christ and we've come to him and asked him to be our savior. In a legal sense at the end of your life, yes, you are forgiven for everything that you're ever going to do. So your sins that you're going to do this week, as much as you might not want to, that you do them, those are forgiven in a legal sense. But what happens is um, when you do those things in a relational sense with God here and now, there's still a problem because you break that relationship with him. You mess up things in that relationship between you and him. And so in a relational sense, you still need forgiveness You need Him to forgive you. And just because we're forgiven for eternity doesn't mean that uh, we don't deal with consequences of our sin that we continue on in here, right? You know, if um, we're—I could go into the illustrations. We don't need to. You, You know that, right? You have consequences. Sin has consequences. When we do things against God's way, it doesn't work out well. And so we need forgiveness for that. And so um, another way of thinking about this is Scripture tells us that when we, when we come to faith in Christ, that actually we're adopted into God's family through him, that we're adopted as sons and daughters of God. So we have that, that standing with God, and that's permanent. That doesn't go away. Just like I have two children. No matter what happens, they will always be my children, you know. Even if in our crazy world today, they decide they want to divorce their parents or something. Like, I don't even, like, how does that even work? What is that? Um, like, they're still your parents, right? Like, you, you're their DNA. I mean, like, there's, as much as you might not like it, you are. Um, and that's the way it is with my kids. They will always be my kids. But, do they do things already sometimes that hurt our relationship? <laughs> yeah. Will they do even more as they get older? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so what does that require? That requires forgiveness in that relationship, in that time. And the same is true with, and on a much larger scale with God. That when we do those things in our lives that are against him, we need forgiveness. And so that's why when Jesus is teaching his disciples on how to pray regularly, he teaches them to ask for forgiveness. Forgive us our sins. And this part we like, right? We like to be forgiven, but the hard part is to do the same for others. That's where it gets harder. And that's the next part of the prayer. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Or another way of saying that is, we forgive everyone who's done wrong to us. Over in other places in Scripture, Jesus actually points to the fact of that God's forgiveness of us is kind of conditioned on our forgiving others. Um, I don't know fully how all that works, but it's in there. And so this is pretty important, that we need to forgive others, that we need um, to work through this. And this makes perfect sense that Jesus would lay it out this way, because it goes right along with what he When he's asked, what is the greatest commandment? He says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And so if the most important thing in our relationship uh, is our relationship with God and then our relationship with our neighbor, then it would make sense uh, on a love level, then it makes sense on a forgiveness level because our forgiveness goes with our love, um, that as soon as we ask God for his forgiveness of us, we need to be forgiving others as well. Right? So that vertical relationship with God works out into our horizontal relationship with other people. And so, um, so we pray asking Him to help us forgive others. Um, but the problem is we're not really good at letting things go. See, Scripture tells us about God's forgiveness. He tells us that when He forgives us, uh, in Psalm 103 it talks about God removes your sin as far as the east is from the west. Right? Right? My mind can't even fathom how far that is because it's a circle. It just keeps going, right? Like, how far is that? I want to measure it. I can't because that's how far God removes our sin from us when we ask him for forgiveness. Another place in Isaiah, it talks about that God blots out your sin. So it remains no more. He blots it out. In Micah, it talks about God casts your iniquity into the sea. If he throws it overboard, it's gone. It is no more. He's no longer bringing that up. He's no longer, you know, bringing that to you. And that's that's what's hard for us, though. Because I'm sure almost every person in here, there's somebody in your life that if I said their name right now, I'd bring up these feelings. And your teeth would kind of start doing like this. You like, But you don't know what they did to me. You don't know what they did. Well, having that in you, well, let me ask you, how well is that working out? Is that really helping you? Is that really hurting them? Is that really hurting you? Yeah. And so what's better is if we can get to the place where we're able to take that thing and throw it in the sea. It's gone. It's done. It's over with. It's forgiven. And as, as we saw, we're Christ's ambassadors, so that means that we're His representatives here. And if, if He is all about His grace and mercy and forgiveness of us, don't you think that that's what we should show others? Absolutely. And so that's, that's what we're about as Christians, is we're about living in light of forgiveness and showing that to other people. And one reason to do this really is for yourself. Hanging on to bitterness and worry, hatred, like it's medically proven that those things are bad for you. Like scientifically, it's bad for you. And before science figured figured that out, our creator said, hey, this is bad for you. So I'm glad science caught up. But God says, no, like, you need to deal with that. You need to get rid of that. Don't hold on to that bitterness. Don't hold on to that anger. Give that over to me. In the same way that he forgives us, he can help us forgive others. He can help us work through those things and be able to offer forgiveness to one another. And so, uh, a good reminder on this is Romans 12 where uh, God, uh, Paul's quoting the Lord and he says, Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. And so if you're worried about that person getting what's due them, God's got it. Either they will come to Christ and be forgiven, and the same grace that covers you covers them, or God's wrath will burn on them and they will be punished for every wrong that they've done to you. Either way, it's a pretty good deal for us. I'm not saying it's a good deal that God's wrath burns on people. But if we're, we're thinking we're going to take care of making them, making them feel guilty, or we're going to take care of their punishment, no, I'm going to leave that up to God. That's His. And so I need to forgive them, and I need to move on. And so the final part of our prayer here. Um, there's another one that might seem a little confusing. Where we pray and lead us not into temptation. Because that might makes us think, well, maybe that means that God leads us into temptation. Which means mean that God tempts us. And does, does God tempt us? And scripture is very clear on that. No. Um, let's look at James 1. Uh, James 1.13 Says this: Let no one say when he is tempted, "I am being tempted by God," for God cannot be tempted with evil, and He Himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. So, where does our temptation come from? Us, who we are. See, and we don't even like to think that, right? We want to think it's that nasty enemy, that he's the one that made me do it. Um, and I was just, I was an innocent bystander, right? And you, if you think you're unique in that, that goes all the way back to the fall of Adam and Eve. What it, God came, he's like, hey, you sinned, you messed up. And Adam said, it was her. And Eve said, it was the snake, right? So from the start of sin, we're like, not me. But really, it, it is me. The problem isn't me. It's my own desire. And then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. So out of ourself comes the desire. The desire leads to the sin. And the sin leads to death. That's the way it works. That's the reality. And so when we pray, Lord, lead us not into temptation, what we're praying is, Lord, lead me away from myself. Take me away from those those places and those things that are going to need make me need more forgiveness from you. Because when I understand what Christ did for me, when I understand the price that he paid for my sin, I don't want to make it increase. I don't want to put more on him on the cross. Just like Paul says in Romans, he, he says, hey, I do that. I do, the very thing I don't want to do is what I do. And so we know that's a reality. We know that we struggle. But our desire is to not go there, is to not put more on him. And so when we pray, Lord, Lord lead us not into temptation. We're praying, Father, take us away from the places that are going to make me mess up and the times and the thoughts and all of that because we need your forgiveness but we don't want to abuse it Romans 6 it talks about this very thing and it says what shall we do then shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase so that's what some people say they're like hey I'm good at sinning God's good at forgiving, we have this good relationship going, I sin, he forgives, works out well. Paul says, so what shall we do? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We've died to that. If you're in Christ, then you're dead to sin. It no longer has rule over you, instead Christ does. And so we need to live like it, and we need to pray like it. That's that's what the passage is teaching us here today. Another thing that I've I've heard taught um, before or said before is that if you're in Christ, they'll, they'll take a verse like, "For those who are in Christ, for now, therefore, those who are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation." Which is right; it's true in that judicial, legal sense that when they when we stand before God, there is no condemnation there because we're forgiven by Christ's blood. But they'll take that, and they'll take it to say, therefore, as a a Christian, you should never feel guilty. That you should never feel guilty about anything. Um, To which I disagree, because um, Scripture tells us that the Holy Spirit's job, the Holy Spirit is the gift of God. When we come uh, to Christ, the gift that we get in return is the Holy Spirit. And one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is to convict us And I don't know how to differentiate between conviction and feeling guilty because those two seem pretty similar to me. And so if the Holy Spirit is convicting you of something, then that means that you need to ask for forgiveness of that thing to make your relationship back right with God, to repair that relationship um, so that in the relational aspect, you're good. Things are fixed. But once you've done that, then there's no place for guilt over that thing, right? So if, if you have come to God and asked for forgiveness of something, the Bible tells us that He does it. He forgives you then and there. And so after that, you don't need to continue in this place of feeling guilty and, oh, I did this, I did that, or whatever. It's already been dealt with. Let it go. But you have to deal with it first, right? Right? So we can't just throw the baby out with the bathwater saying, oh, well, you know, once you're a Christian, then you don't feel guilty about anything anymore. Well, no, that's not what Scripture is teaching us. It's teaching us that we're convicted when we mess up. And that's for the purpose of putting us back on the right track. That's for the purpose of getting us back in the right relationship with God. I just want to end uh, the message today with looking at one final passage that kind of puts all this into perspective. In 1 John chapter 1, and I'm starting in verse 5, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. God is perfect. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie. Forgive us our sins And to cleanse us from all Unrighteousness If we say we have not sinned We make him a liar And his word Is not in us Let's pray Lord Jesus we thank you that you did make a way That we could be forgiven We thank you that you are light And you show us the way The way to live The way to be made right with God The way to be made right with each other And Lord, we know that that all is only possible by forgiveness, because we've messed up. As much as we might want to think of how highly of ourselves and think how good we are, we know that we've messed up, Lord, and we need your forgiveness. That's the only way. And so humbly, we come before you now and lay that down. Lord, I pray for anyone here who has not yet placed their faith in Christ and received that ultimate judicial forgiveness before you. Lord, I pray that they might do that today, that they might enter into the relationship with you. For those of us who've walked with you for a while, Lord, I pray that as, as we think through this, if there are things in our life that are sin, Lord, I pray that you bring us conviction over those things. That through your Spirit, you show us the problems. and pray that we'll repent. Not only will we ask you for forgiveness, but that we'll ask you to to lead us not in temptation, meaning that you will ask you to, Lord, help me not to go that way anymore. Because I need your forgiveness for it, and I don't want it to keep happening. And Lord, I, I know that all of this is only possible by the great gift you gave us in Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we thank you for that gift. We pray that you will just continue to let your grace cover us. And we thank you for your grace and your mercy. Because it's all through that that we get to be made right with you. And that's such an awesome gift, Lord. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.